This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Here we are, Dan. Episode 7. Episode 7 is in. Wow. Thanks, everyone, for listening this far. Absolutely. One of the questions on my mind right now is museum studies. What is museum studies? We're going to hear a little bit about this in this episode in a couple of different ways. Your experience with museum studies, you went to the Harvard program, you got yourself a master's. What do you think it actually did for you? That's so funny because I have two master's degrees. I have one in museum studies, which I did when I was in my 20s. I just remember sitting in these classrooms feeling unconnected to the people around me and actually looking at them with suspicion and thinking, we're applying for the same jobs. Ah, you even at that time, you realized that that was the competition. Absolutely. Hmm. And then I did the arts administration degree at BU. So do you encourage people to get museum studies degree now if they're entering the field? You know, I do. But not because I believe that it's necessary. It's I tell them some people think it's necessary. Right. So at this day and age, at this point where we are, you should probably get a master's degree in museum studies to work in a museum. I think it's very important to have on your resume these credentials that you speak of. However, whatever form they come in, museum studies degree or peer-to-peer badges, however they work, that gets you in the door. And then once you're in the door, when I'm interviewing, I don't... Like, I just assume a museum studies degree is taking care of some of the stuff, some of the things you need, Mm. right? You have some understanding of how museums work. But I am looking for so many more important soft skills that are not found in a resume. You can find them in a cover letter. You can find if someone has a sense of humor, show some personality, gets it. But there are some things you can't be taught that aren't taught in our museum studies, like self-awareness, curiosity, all, all sorts of things. That's what I look for when I hire someone, and I guess I look for that degree first. Well, that's honestly the value, then, of just being in the field. You can learn all the theory you want, but actually being in a museum and understanding it are two different things. But we have two really interesting women today who are involved in museum studies and are raising some interesting questions. Absolutely. You interviewed Mary Malloy from the Harvard program Why don't you set this one up? I was so pleased to run into Mary. Mary um, was a professor of mine when I was at Harvard 10 years ago, and I hadn't seen her since. And there she was at Museum Advocacy Day. I'm Mary Malloy. I teach in the uh, Museum Studies program at Harvard. And I love museums in part because they are places where you can get access to other times and other places without anything interfering. It's different than a book where somebody's perspective has come into view, but at a museum, there you are. There's the, the thing, or you're in the building. Uh, to be in the building where um, the Declaration of Independence was first read in Boston, that's kind of a thrill to me. What are the biggest obstacles to museums succeeding? You know, I would like to say uh, that it's all financial, Um, and that museums don't have enough money and need to get more. But there's a lot of issues that I'm following, especially looking at at historical things. Um, For instance, the fact is that 
Unfortunately, with many difficult subject matters, there's sort of a lack of will uh, for museums to leap into uh, controversy. And in fact, I think uh, that's been one of the problems of museums in recent years is that uh, steering away from controversy means that a lot of stuff where museums could make statements, it, they, don't get, they never get made. What museums are doing that well, if any? As I think of history museums that are actually confronting problems in history, I think the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., for instance, but there, the public is prepared to come in and deal with a hard topic, and they know about it. It's much more difficult in a local historical society where there's generally a lot of um, notions of local people having been heroic in the ways that they acted, and, and, uh, and little, um, again, little will uh, to deal with those things which might be controversial that also happened in local communities. It's interesting because as a teacher, you have young minds to mold. So what message do you give them in that regard? I think that they're hearing about these controversial things from other sources. So they're reading about them in books. Um, young adult novels deal with many of these topics uh, in a very you know, straightforward way. So I think that kids, when they get to a museum, if a museum is not willing also uh, to deal with the hard questions, that kids will be left with, um, you know, confusion that we certainly don't want to be, um, you know, endorsing in museums. I think we have to, we have to be prepared to let people think about, about hard things and not expect that museums are just places that you go to to feel good about yourself. If museums cease to exist, how would the world be different? I think a world without museums would be awful. I mean, and, and to say that there could be a world without museums would mean, in essence, that all old buildings would have to collapse, that, uh, that you know, works of art were suddenly gone. Uh, because museums are more than just the institutions. I mean, they are the stuff that they hold. So a world without that, I think, would be, um, would be just awful. things that Mary really intrigues me about is her sense of talking about the authenticity of the thing. Authenticity is a big hallmark of museums, don't you think? It's true. There are some museums that I go to that I call Wikipedia exhibits, where you walk through and you don't learn anything you wouldn't have learned on Wikipedia. Right. And that just makes me so angry and it's a giant waste of my time. Yeah. And we have to dig deeper now and I think many of us agree objects are the way to do that mary also leveled an indictment similar to linda norris about how we lack the will to be controversial linda used the word fear what do you think of that i believe it's it's true and of course it's coming from someone else who is not inside a museum day to day right. it's someone from the outside who has the time um, to think and ask these larger questions. Since she's not in a museum, is it easier said than done to talk about how we lack will to be controversial? Certainly, you and your position now, and my former position as a museum director, I know that you might say, oh, gee, we're going to do something wild and crazy. But at the end of the day, you really do have to make decisions that are based on the whole cloth of the museum, your trustees, your donors, whatever the case might be, and as edgy as you might be, it's got to fit into the culture of your museum, ultimately. It's true. When I um, interviewed for the job that I have now in Cambridge, I asked the board 
um, how willing would they be to have an exhibit um, about the, the the Boston Marathon bombers because they were from Cambridge. Right. And I saw some eyebrows go up. Right. But yeah. everyone said, yeah, we'd be open to that. And that, that sort of sent me a message. But I, I can't imagine if you had a, a board who was even slightly concerned about something like that. It would never happen. Right. So our interview subject today is Sheila Hoffman. She is a PhD student at the University of Quebec in Montreal. And uh, she delivered a, um, a session at our last conference on big data. Her focus is on using data in museums, not for what we usually think of as marketing or whatever, but how do you connect your collections with visitors using data? She's uh, got a lot to say about that subject and much, much more. Sheila Hoffman, and I am currently a double PhD student um, at the University of Quebec in Montreal in museum studies, and next at the University of Paris, the Sorbonne, in art history. And the reason I'm doing that torture right now (laughs) is because I worked in the field for a good 15 years before I really wanted to see some new some changes. I was worried about the field of museum studies, the field of my specific field of curating, and I was interested in where the future was going. And I didn't think that I could have the time and space to think about that future without pursuing an academic um, study of it, with a really in-depth study of it. What specifically then, as you're studying, uh, is emerging as the future of museums for you? Well, two of the things that I I narrowed in on very quickly when I started my um, studies was audience engagement and how that has to change from older models of audience engagement, where it would just be this push from curators of, here's what I know, here's what we know is the the, the field, and then push that out to the audience via catalogs or labels or presentations and whatnot. That was always uncomfortable for me. And more and more, I think everyone in the field was feeling that, how do we involve the, the audience in their engagement? And then, of course, the other big one for me was how what was pushing change in the, the domain was technology. You know, it's entering into our field, but the people that were pushing it into the field weren't the people in the field. They were people from outside saying, we have this technology that might re- work really well. And indeed it did for, for some things, but it wasn't necessarily sometimes it was designed for us but it was designed from an outside perspective and so when I was caught between the two of those things do I go towards this path of audience engagement and technology for me what I I saw was that um, technology might open up the doors for both how do we use technology to bring in more of the audience on works of art how do we um, stop closing off our collections because I think that museums are often I don't want to use the word accused but you know this is how do we get closer to the objects? How do we bring audiences closer? And one of those things is to get the data out there, to get the information out there. And so now I'm specializing in digital documentation of these objects and how we can, even before we get them to the public, how, how we can make that information more robust so that when it comes to the public, whether it's on the Internet or whether it's in research somehow, in the gallery, in an app, in, a, in any sort of like technology that we use, that it's much more interesting than just a picture with a title next to it or artist next to it how do you go deeper than into it i presume you're dealing with like mega data or metadata and so forth right is that sort of the future of digitization 
I think megadata is a great term. Uh, metadata is uh, really just the, the the terms that people use for the, the basic data that's out there. That that name, the title, of the artist, the the provenance, the date of creation, that to the nationality of the artist is kind of higher level. What would be on a library card kind of data? And um, when we devised these systems, uh, when they started becoming computerized systems in the depending on the country you're in, say around the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s in some countries, even still, um, or whether it was back in the library card era where things were put onto lists and ledgers and, and, and index cards, um, all that information is very small. And so what we want to do is start taking it and saying, well, what can technology potentially discover for us and bring to the equation that maybe we haven't even thought of yet? So um, three-dimensional models, uh, searching by color, searching by sound even, you know, depending on what kind of object you're taking, texture mapping of of the, the thing itself and delving beyond just the surface of it and what's in the interior of it. How has technology changed the nature of the work of curators Wow, um, I'd I'd like to say that it has had a deep impact, but from my experience, and I should limit it to that, um, I don't think that it has had a significant impact. I think that we tend to do the same thing we've always done, but now with the help of technology. Now, the distinction I want to make here is that we see an easier route to doing what we were doing using technology, so putting something on a computer rather than typing it into a list, for example, or index cards or handwritten ledgers, but we're still doing the same things. We haven't yet hit a point, I think, um, I think some museums have, but largely the domain itself hasn't hit a point where we're inventing or creating or pushing the technology that we need because we can see um, some avenue for it to explore rather than just using it for what we've always used it for. Well, how do you react to what's been going on over the last few years in terms of crowdsourcing? We're starting to hear curators aren't necessary any longer. Let's have the public do it. And I think we're swinging back towards realizing that you know we need curation in our life, perhaps now more than ever. But how do you, how do you react to that as a person that identifies as a curator? Mm-hmm. I like that person identifies as a curator. That's very politically correct. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, in some circles, uh, curators have bad names. In some circles, they're still lauded as, you know, kind of the, the end-all, be-all, the very, you know, um, high echelon. And I think that there's a lot of wiggle room in there for curators to, f- to forge a future. And on on, curate, on CureCom, which uh, the National Curators Committee with, I, with, with whom I work, um, we talk about that discussion a lot because things like crowdsourcing, when you talk about crowdsourcing ideas, I think crowdsourcing is a great thing to do, but you can't just leave it at, okay, we've crowdsourced ideas. It's a great exhibition idea. It's not necessarily. And I think that that, that swinging pendulum that you, you kind of uh, uh, mentioned is going to find that there is still a need for that expertise um, to be drawn in with more this idea of crowdsourced interest. One of the things that we're learning about audience, audience engagement in general is that it's not, again, going back to that push model of, like, here's my expertise, have it, enjoy it for whatever it's worth to you. Um, 
but inviting people's experience and their much more limited expertise to align with uh, certain facets, certain points of interest, and then building something from that point of interest. Now, that's a very individualized approach, and not every museum can find that approach with each person. But I think with technology specifically, we can start finding more of those approaches um, in an online environment or an app environment where people say, ah, well, this is where my interest lies. How does my interest and that expertise or that experience align, and, and how can we grow that? The programs you're engaged with are international in scope. Why did you choose those programs? One of the reasons I chose to do a PhD in museum studies in Canada was because there was no PhD of museum studies in the United States. Simply as that. Um, And it's something that I'd like to see evolve here in the United States. Maybe it's time for it. Maybe it's not. It's certainly been discussed before. I haven't originated the idea. And what's interesting to me is that there is a geopolitical difference, a geographical difference between our style and our approach to museums. They're not necessarily right or wrong. They're just different. They've been forged from unique histories. As much as we think we're like Canada and our histories are similar, we're very different. And the same goes with Quebec. The same goes with France and England and many of the other countries that are evolving these museum studies ideas. And I think that now is the time for the museums, um, in museum studies, especially in the United States, to become much more cognizant of some of those ideas out there. I think the museum studies in the United States is very practical. It is focused on the practice of museums in the museum realm. It's very centered on, say, how to engage your board or how to run your board, how to put up an exhibition, how to catalog your collection. It's very um, how-to-oriented. And when you go to France, say, it's very much about the theory. Um, In Britain, it's very object-centered, object in a very physical sense that has emerged from this material object history. And Canada, I think, is stepping forefront into uh, some of the digital uh, era, um, inventories and digitization of collections. And what's next on the horizon for you? Um, What I want to be able to do is to advance the field. That is that is my core desire, and I think that there are ways to do that through advocacy, but it also means, I think, mentoring emerging professionals as they come through and guiding people towards what they might like to do. So what advice would you give one of those emerging professionals if they wanted to follow in your footsteps? Know your passions. Know those, know those areas that, you, that really make you excited, that make you giddy to go to work, and um, try to find ways to intersect uh, with them professionally and through academic work. Good luck, Sheila. Thank you very much. Well, as you might imagine, somebody that's getting a PhD in museum studies had a lot to say about the museum field. The insights that she brings about PhDs in this country is a contentious one. Do you think getting a PhD in museum studies is worthwhile in the United States? I've thought about this. I've talked with friends about it, especially friends who are more on the academic side of things. I do not consider myself on the academic side of things. Mm. I love just jumping in and doing. And that's sort of the quote American way here in museum studies. Um, I did love what she said about being able to um, sit back and look and think. And so often we do not have that luxury here in the States in museum studies degrees. 
One of my big fantasies right now in NEMA is to create a think tank, a literal think tank. I think that NEMA has the opportunity to be much more of a thought leader than it's been, helping guide uh, that practical work with some very serious underpinnings uh, that we never have time for when we're actually doing the work. I think that that's the best part about conference is when you go to conference, you have time to sit and think about these big issues that you don't have time normally. And then the conversations that you have with people that you sit next to, that's, that's what we need more of. We need that more connectivity and space and time where we allow ourselves. We don't give ourselves the permission to think these big questions. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Episode seven wrapped up. This is the penultimate in the first series of Museum People podcast. We want to hear from you to know that we're on the right track so that we're going to potentially do another series. Should we do another series? I don't know. Should we? (laughs) Let us know, Museum People. (laughs) (laughs) Next time on Museum People. As museums, we are all part of a community, and it would be great to be able to have the capacity to get more involved. We were in the heart of the tornado. From that moment on, my entire life changed. I already had great faith in um, the goodness of humankind, but it's unbelievable how people will come together and convene to make sure you're going to be okay. Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>